Shadows of the Mind, Episode 6, Surrender. In her guilt about the way she treated her brother on the night of his death, Desi turned to Eddie, and the two gave in to their feelings for one another at last. Derek is struggling with his decision to protect Lila, whom everyone but him believes responsible for his brother's murder. The division agents made an attempt on Mia's life that backfired, leading to injuries on both sides. As he wove through the first floor of LDE, Derek rubbed his eyes and attempted to process what was happening. He was harboring a woman who was wanted for murder, and Ravenna was hunting her, hopefully unaware that Derek was assisting in her evasion. Why didn't Damien ever tell me they were together? Eddie had gone against his wishes and announced to the world that Lila was behind Damien's death, and Desi was probably partying away her troubles, oblivious to the catastrophic chain of events she had set in motion. Derek felt like the only sane one left. He turned a corner and glanced into each room he passed, finding one after another empty. He'd called Eddie as soon as he'd awoken that morning and requested a meeting, and as Eddie had already been at the office, Derek had agreed to meet him there. He hadn't been thrilled about leaving Lila unattended in his apartment, but he knew he couldn't bring her out into the public eye. He had come to the conclusion that Eddie was nowhere on the first floor, he briefly considered the elevator, but there was tension radiating through him that he needed to run off before he talked with Eddie. He wrenched open the door to the stairwell and started up the steps as quickly as he could move. He has to be in his office. I don't know where else he would be while we're under lockdown. The only other people left in the building were a handful of overly dedicated employees who deserved more than they were paid. Derek ignored the pain in his legs as he passed the 10th floor, then the 12th, the 14th. He remembered the proud smile Damien had worn at the graduation ceremony Derek had nearly driven himself mad to attend, taking far more classes than what had probably been healthy in order to get his bachelor's degree a year early with Damien and Eddie. Fifteen. He remembered the way Damien had almost bounced on his feet as the company's three heads had walked with Lila out onto the platform in front of their building to announce the opening of LDE. The way Damien had cried after Lila had taken her first breath, years before the company's official opening. Sixteen. The muscles in Derek's legs were screaming. He remembered sitting on the sofa of his parents' living room and watching the carpet, trying not to look up and meet his father's eyes. His father had told him Damien had been kept late at school for punching an older student who'd pushed Derek into a locker. Seventeen. His lungs ached, but he didn't care. He remembered how his breath had caught in his throat when Damien, staring out of the window of his office with his hands braced on the sill, had suggested the three men try to find a way to preserve human life after death. Eighteen. Derek burst through the door onto the main floor. The throb of his calf muscles and the pulse roaring in his ears served to help him focus on the present, if nothing else. He stood at one end of a dark hall, his eyes straining as they adjusted to his surroundings. The doors to the rooms on either side were closed, blocking the light their windows would have allowed from outside. As the door to the stairs swung closed behind him with a loud bang, the area slid into focus enough for Derek to process the light at the opposite end of the hall. He once again took off at a jog, and the light drew nearer with every step. 
He realized as he moved toward it that the light wasn't coming from Eddie's office at all. It was from the conference room directly opposite the stairs. He paused in the doorway and his eyes fell on Eddie, who was sitting in one of the many hover chairs circling the table. Piles of papers and holophiles surrounded him. Eddie looked up and offered Derek a smile, removing his reading glasses and pushing aside the holophile he'd been examining. Derek glanced down at it and saw the company's stock portfolio scrolling across the small screen. Good morning, said Eddie, raising a brow. I didn't expect you this soon. I thought you said it would be at least another hour, or I wouldn't have started working yet. What changed your mind? We've talked about a lot of things recently. Derek pulled back the chair at the end of the table nearest at the door, two seats down from Eddie, and sat. Not the least of which being non-disclosure. What changed your mind? Eddie frowned. I guess I wasn't thinking. The reporter caught me off guard and I improvised. He watched Derek closely, measuring his response. I caught that, said Derek. You went straight for the topic we planned to avoid for at least a few more days. Wouldn't it have been easier to wait until we knew more to start placing blame? Eddie sighed. I'm sorry, Derek. I just want Lila to pay for what she's done. And I know you've found her. I won't go against your wishes again and inform the police, but I sincerely hope that you know what you're doing. Lila is dangerous. You may be in over your head. Maybe. But we also know that there was someone else on that video. Someone else was there that night and almost certainly had a hand in what happened. Eddie looked puzzled. He was silent for a few moments, and then comprehension slid over his face. Ah, yes, the man in the background, he said flatly. Yes, you might be onto something, but how do you know he was in any way involved? He could have been trying to stop her, or walked in on what was- Derek laughed coldly. <laughs> trying to stop her. Really? He folded his arms across his chest. Seems likely. And it might not have been a man. She doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt, Derek. The silence following Eddie's words rang in Derek's ears. He opened his mouth to speak, but he couldn't find his voice. Eddie continued, more softly this time. Listen, I understand more than anyone else. I get it. We made her, and she isn't supposed to be capable of something like this. It shouldn't be possible. And if there's a flaw in her programming that made her snap, then... I'm sorry. Derek shrugged stiffly and let out a breath. Don't blame yourself. I didn't catch it either. You need to keep pressure on that, said Lex. It's not bleeding anymore. Charlie shook her head. I'm fine. Kat lingered several paces behind the two of them as the group moved through the halls of West Point, casting occasional sidelong glances at Casey, who hadn't said a word since the four agents had regrouped after the failure of their mission. Kat assumed Casey blamed herself for everything that had gone wrong, and her attempts to assert otherwise had been unsuccessful. As soon as she'd found out Casey and Charlie were seeing one another, she'd been worried about what would happen when one of them was injured in the line of duty. She knew Casey's guilt was misplaced. None of this had been her fault, but Casey wasn't going to believe that. The group hadn't remained stationary long enough for Charlie to properly bandage the deep scrapes she'd received along her arm upon being thrown into the street, and the jacket she'd wadded into a makeshift bandage was soaked in scarlet. What happened? Kat clenched her jaw at the question and at the sound of high heels clicking angrily toward her from down the hall. She looked ahead to find Rachel approaching her group. Kat pulled in a long breath and rolled her shoulders backward, and in moments, Rachel was at her side. She must have either known we were coming or just picked up on the plan way too quickly, said Kat. She used Casey as a shield to block Lex's shot and almost got Charlie hit by a car. 
She knows who you are, said Rachel with a sigh. All of you, I'd assume. Kat's breath caught in her throat. How's that possible? I have no idea, but when Andrew planted the tracker on her, she addressed him by name. He was at her second trial, but she couldn't have seen him there, so she must have gotten into our database. Wasn't she at LDE when Andrew tagged her? Said Lex. Rachel nodded. He knew it was too easy. She's probably been playing us for quite a while. I just want to know what she's planning, but I'd settle for someone shooting her already. We'll catch her, said Kat. Or kill her. Whichever comes first. She's always been a problem, Rachel, and she always will be. We never should have commissioned her. Rachel's lips pressed into a thin line, but she remained silent. Why don't we just have Andrew break cover? Kat pressed. Odds are she never passed on what happened during her last trial, and everyone left at LDE could be in danger. Look at what happened to Damian Lawrence. For now, Dodson announcing to the media that Lila's responsible has bought us more time, said Rachel. If she is, that's one less reason for McNair to want our heads on platters. And if Mia was somehow involved, at least no one will suspect as much. She glanced from one member of Kat's team to the next. Go rest, all of you. Then we need a new plan. Desi shouldered open one of LDE's back doors while attempting to balance the two cappuccinos she'd purchased for herself and Eddie and struggling to ignore the drink's heat, which was only mildly dulled by their cups. In return for his willingness to help her the previous night, she had agreed to keep him company when he returned to the office. She'd tried to tell him it was absurd to attempt working at a time like this, but he'd insisted that work was likely the only thing that would keep him sane. The slight pause that had followed those words, though, as his eyes had been fixed on hers, had told her otherwise. While her thoughts lay elsewhere, her feet led her into the path of a man in a gray business suit, and only at the final moment did she manage to stop herself from running into him. I'm so sorry, she said quickly, her eyes wide as she tightened her grip on the coffee cups. Glad I didn't spill them on him. She vaguely recognized his short blonde hair and the square jaw that shifted slightly as he gave her a good-natured smile. It was my fault, he said. I guess it works out, though, as I was looking for either you or your brother. Desi raised a brow, internally debating the politest way to ask who the man was, but before she had the chance to speak, he nodded, apparently understanding the reason for her delayed reaction. Ben McNair. I'd shake your hand, but uh, I don't want to give you a reason to drop those. He glanced to one of the cappuccinos, and Desi felt the heat rising in her cheeks. As the name registered in her mind, however, her eyes widened. I was your father's attorney. The mirth slid slowly from Ben's face. Uh, I was so sorry to hear it when he and your mother passed. Uh, Senator Lawrence was one of my favorite clients. He was so kind to give me the chance to work for him. Desi nodded slowly. Her father had been serving his third Senate term at the time of the accident that had claimed his life and her mother's. As the son of one of his fellow senators, Ben had been hired years earlier by her father in a move that had jump-started his career. He thought very highly of you, said Desi. And how are your parents? I've always wondered how hard it is to stay out of the spotlight in a position like yours. Ben laughed shortly. <laughs> I've informed my father that I don't want the Secret Service following me around. Uh, he tried to argue, but Mom persuaded him that I can handle myself. As long as I don't weigh in on any of those issues he feels strongly about, the media leaves me alone. Well, about as much as they leave you alone, I suppose. If you need any help getting out of that infraction I read about, I'd be more than willing. Thank you. The police haven't pressed me too hard, though I think it's due to the circumstances. She shifted on her feet. She didn't want to admit that her brother had made sure they wouldn't follow up on her drunken behavior. Ben nodded solemnly. That's what I wanted to speak to you about, actually. And again, I'm very sorry for your loss. 
When Desi smiled thinly, unable to find words to express her feelings on the matter of Damien, Ben continued, I haven't been able to find a case where anyone's managed to make murder charges stick for an android. I'd imagine Lila's something of a touchy subject given her history with your family, but I want to make sure she's held accountable. I owe that much to your family, and I want to see you and Derek get the justice you deserve. Desi held more tightly to the drinks in her hands, fighting to tether herself to the present in any way she could manage, even if that meant burning her palms. She knew asking Ravenna to pursue Lila had been a terrible decision. She'd regretted it almost immediately, and this regret had grown unbearable since Derek had decided to become personally involved in the matter of Lila's guilt or innocence. Desi had intended to distance herself from whatever retribution awaited for Damien, but this, she decided, was a reasonable course of action. She doubted Derek would object to accepting the help of a family friend, and even though he was sure Lila wasn't totally at fault, doubt still lurked in Desi's mind. She didn't want to condemn Lila, but she wanted the truth, and perhaps Ben could find it. We would be incredibly grateful for that. Thank you. He smiled. Anytime, Miss Lawrence. I'll be in touch. He nodded to her respectfully and stepped to the side, allowing her to continue on her path toward the lobby and the elevator there. The police still had the front half of the lobby sectioned off with yellow tape, and Desi couldn't look at the area for more than an instant. When she closed her eyes, she saw Damien slumped against the front doors. Too still. As the elevator ascended, she did her best to regather her thoughts. She would explain the meeting with Ben to Derek later. At the moment, she needed to focus on Eddie, who had probably begun to wonder whether she truly planned to join him. Each slight movement she and Eddie had made toward one another had been tentative, hesitant. Though she'd started to accept that his presence simultaneously put her at ease and tied her stomach in knots, she had no idea how to admit this to him without endangering the delicate balance of the relationships surrounding her. She didn't want to chance making Derek uncomfortable with the budding relationship between his sister and best friend while he had so much chaos to sift through already, but she also didn't want to deny herself, or Eddie, the chance to regain some of the happiness that had been stolen from them with the loss of Damien. I'm pretty sure all that talk last night was his way of telling me how he feels. I want to just tell him the truth, but will he think I'm doing it for the wrong reasons? That I just want someone to run to? She made her way to the conference room where Eddie had told her to find him, and in the doorway she froze. She'd spotted Derek at the head of the long conference table, two seats down from Eddie, who smiled at her. Derek turned in his chair to face her, and when their eyes met, he frowned. I'm confused. Desi, why are you here? She shrugged, starting forward again and slipping into the chair between the two men, taking care not to spill the drinks as she passed one to Eddie and cupped the other between her palms. I thought I'd see if there was any way I could help. I know you've got almost everyone on leave right now, and it's insane to try to keep this place running by yourselves. That's not exactly a lie, she told herself. He doesn't need to know that Eddie asked me to be here. She glanced down to the cappuccino before her and back to her brother. Do you want it? I would have bought another if I'd realized you'd be here. Derek shook his head, though his frown remained in place, suggesting he was unsatisfied with her answer. Before he could question her further, she spoke again. We decided on Tuesday for the funeral, didn't we? He nodded. Yes, with the visitation on Monday night. I've started making calls. Send me a list of the ones you haven't made, said Desi. I'll help when I get home. Thank you. I appreciate that. Derek took a deep breath and let it out. I suppose it's a good thing you're both here. I want you to understand something. Desi turned her head slightly to exchange glances with Eddie before returning her focus to her brother. We don't know everything about what happened. Until we do, I don't feel comfortable passing judgment on anyone. Eddie, you've said you won't notify the police that I found her. Desi, please call off Ravenna. Despite the gravity of the conversation, a clipped laugh burst from Desi's lips. Do you really think it's that easy? She won't listen to me. You've known her for longer than I have. Do you think she's any easier to persuade now? I'll try, but I'm not making any promises. Thank you. I just want to know that you two won't try to stop me from finding out the truth. Of course not, Derek. I want to know the truth as much as you do. 
Eddie fidgeted with his reading glasses where they sat on the table. After what I saw in that security video, I can't trust Lila. But I do trust you, and if you feel this is the right thing to do, I won't stop you. Thank you both. Derek pulled out his phone and glanced at its screen. I need to go, but I'll talk with you soon. He stood and kissed Desi on the cheek. Goodbye. He clapped Eddie on the back, and then he made his way to the door and out into the hall. Desi set her coffee on the table, waiting until her brother was no longer visible before speaking. We're doing the right thing, aren't we? Staying out of this as much as we can? Not telling him? She swallowed. Eddie nodded and gave her a small smile. I think so. Everything is going to be fine. She kept her eyes on his hand as it gently enclosed her own. Ravenna paced Park Avenue, tuning out the insistent roar of traffic and the suffocating sounds surrounding her. She'd spent the last several hours scanning the same area, the block surrounding LDE, and had turned up nothing to suggest even a hint of Lila. She'd checked the hotel room again, and she'd been unsurprised to find that Lila hadn't returned there. She wondered whether the police were having any more luck than she was. Go home, whispered a voice at the back of her mind. Technically, she could, unlike the woman she was hunting. Nothing was stopping Ravenna from returning to the house she'd shared with Damien, apart from her own fear of being discovered there, but that was enough to give her pause. She had no idea how much information the police had on her, and she couldn't afford to risk being sent to prison by making herself too easy a target. She'd left before dawn and didn't plan on going back until after nightfall. She imagined that if the police were going to check the house, they would do it during normal work hours. And I'm not giving up. She's going down for this. I'm done losing people without them seeing justice. It was winter, almost Christmas, and the temperature was well below freezing. A layer of crisp white snow blanketed the ground. Ravenna walked beside her brother along the trail their parents had helped their grandfather shovel after their arrival. Clarice wasn't involved, Leah. Though Ravenna knew her father was trying to keep his voice low, his agitation was clear in his tone. He'd always been protective of his twin sister. Ravenna kept her focus on the grass in front of her. Then why isn't she here? Her mother pressed. Canada seems a bit extreme if she's just hiding from the accusations. Hey. Ravenna turned to her brother, Bryce, who was watching her with a devious glint in his eyes. They were the same hazel as her own, but his held flecks of brown. Race you. He said, his gaze flicking toward the frozen pond. Before Ravenna could respond, Bryce had shot forward, dashing down the hill and toward the pond's edge. Ravenna huffed and darted after him, but the three years separating her from her brother in age did not favor her. Bryce, with his longer legs and his years of track in high school, reached the ice first. He'd already laced his skates by the time Ravenna arrived, and she frowned as she sat on the cold, damp path and pulled off her shoes. Not quite fast enough, Ray. Bryce teased. Shut it. He <laughs> chuckled and started out onto the pond. Ravenna had just started to pull on her skates when she heard a sickening crack from the ice. She looked up and saw nothing wrong immediately. Bryce glided across the pond, and a twinge of jealousy pulled at the edges of Ravenna's stomach. How was he better at this than she was? He didn't get to practice any more often. She glanced back down at her skates and hurried to finish tying her laces. And then she stood, struggling for a moment to balance her weight on the thin blades. Then the cracking noise cut through the night again. Ravenna took a step toward the ice and glanced to her parents, who had just departed the path to approach the bench beside the pond. What the hell? Bryce shouted. Ravenna's head whipped toward him. Bryce, his eyes moving frantically from his parents to her, cried out Help. as he fell to a crack to the freezing water below. By the time Ravenna realized she wasn't hallucinating, Bryce's cries no longer echoed through the air. Ravenna wandered around Chicago for the third night since her arrival, alone on Navy Pier. 
The buildings were tall and the city was crowded, with its chrome towers and layers of hover cars claiming the streets. But it wasn't home. Lake Michigan was beautiful as Ravenna watched the dark water ripple just off the pier and glint in the moonlight that fell from overhead. But it wasn't the Hudson River, where she'd often gone boating with her family as a child. But it also wasn't the pond at her grandparents' home. She hadn't visited since Bryce's accident, and she'd felt miles between her parents and herself even when they'd been in the same room. She hadn't been able to stay at home any longer. She'd purchased the plane ticket in secret with money she'd saved from the past several holidays, and less than a week after her high school graduation, she'd left Manhattan behind in the hope of finding somewhere to forget herself. Ravenna yawned, turning away from the dark water and starting toward her temporary home a few blocks from the pier. Living in a hotel hadn't been her ideal plan, but for now, it was good enough. She watched the hovercars pass and wondered how many people lived here and how many had done so all their lives. She wondered whether she would ever stop feeling out of place. Presenting the future of robotics technology. A smooth female voice announced from the telesense in a store window to Ravenna's left. The seventh generation Adam and Eve from Genesis Tech. She paused momentarily to look at the screen, where a blonde man and a red-haired woman smiled at the audience. As they approached the camera, their movements were fluid and realistic. They were dressed in a closely tailored gray suit and black dress respectively. And while Ravenna remembered the last generation of Genesis androids being rather stiff and inhuman, she thought these two could pass well for a living man and woman. Each model can be purchased for the unbelievably low price of- Hello there. Ravenna's mouth went dry, her muscles tensing as a sickening pang of fear shot through her in response to the voice beside her ear. She hadn't been paying enough attention to notice anyone approaching. She said nothing. Strong arms enclosed her and pulled her backward, a hand slipping over her mouth as she felt the cold, hard barrel of a plasma gun pressing into her side. Her first instinct had been to scream for help, but if she'd made noise, she would certainly be shot. She thought she knew enough about self-defense to attempt to fight, but she couldn't think clearly enough in her panic to form a plan. Her captor hauled her into a nearby alley and shoved her hard against the wall of an apartment building. She felt the rough brick snag on her coat, and she heard the material rip. The man eyed her up and down, and a wicked grin curled his lips. He pressed his forearm across her throat to pin her to the wall, and as a choked breath left her lungs, she glanced down to see the gun only inches from her face. Her heart pounded loudly in her ears, and she couldn't think. Please, she gasped, reaching up to attempt to pry his arm from her throat. Shut up. She struggled against him, and in a moment of pure panic, she kicked him hard in the shin. He hissed in pain and pressed the gun to her temple, his dark eyes filled with malice. Shouldn't have done that. A gunshot echoed through the alley. Painful ringing filled her ears. Ravenna realized only several seconds after the sound had faded that she had closed her eyes. She forced herself to open them, and she registered slowly that there was no longer suffocating pressure on her throat, and the pounding in her ears was the only remaining sign of what had happened apart from the man lying at her feet. He was facing the ground, and a plasma bolt had landed perfectly in the center of the back of his head. Ravenna dropped to the ground, her head in her hands as she struggled to get her breathing back under control. Her hyperventilating nearly drowned out the sound of feet clambering down the ladder across the alley and rushing across the pavement toward her. A hand rested gently on her elbow. Are you hurt? Ravenna lifted her face to see another man crouching beside her. Unlike the first, his eyes were not malicious. He only looked a few years older than her. She thought he must be in his early 20s. While there was a sense of severity about his face, his guarded expression seemed more that of someone who had witnessed a lot of suffering, not one who enjoyed inflicting it. Regardless, his shot suggested a practiced marksman. I'm fine. Um... Thank you. Ravenna inhaled deeply and let out her breath in a sigh, trying to rid herself of her shock and her anxiousness. She was safe, probably. 
The man nodded. You're lucky he was such an ass. If he hadn't done this and worse a hundred times, I wouldn't have been hired. Hired? She repeated blankly, not understanding. Come on, we'll talk when we're further away, if you want. He offered her a hand, and after a moment's hesitation, she took it. I might be insane, she thought as he helped her to her feet. He just killed a man, but he also just saved my life, and I don't want to be here when someone finds the body. She followed the man out of the alley. I'm Roman, by the way. She looked up at him. Roman had dark brown hair that was still several shades lighter than hers, and he was dressed in black. His clothing and the deafness of his movements suggested that he was accustomed to blending into the darkness around him. Ravenna, why were you hired? Roman grinned. Are you sure you want to know? You saved me. You got my attention. I want to know. I get paid to kill people who deserve it. Ravenna frowned, folding her arms over her chest as she considered his words and worked to keep pace with his longer strides. She had always viewed murder as undeniably wrong and those who committed it as irredeemably guilty, but Roman had saved her life. Why? Roman said nothing immediately, and when Ravenna looked up at him again, he seemed to be debating how to answer her. His brows were drawn thoughtfully. I've seen a lot of people get away with things they shouldn't have. Are you sure about this? Ravenna glanced nervously over her shoulder, certain that she and Roman were being watched. Yes. I'm not going to take out a mark who isn't guilty, Ray. Wait here for me, and I'll be back in a minute. And remember, if I'm not... I get the hell out of here, and I never met you. Right. Sighing heavily, Ravenna reclined against the wall of the comic shop she'd been standing beside and surveyed the area through her dark sunglasses. Roman had been hired to take out a mark who had supposedly committed a string of assaults, but he'd investigated enough to find out that the information his employer had given him was false. The man hadn't even been in state when two of the attacks had happened. Ravenna had helped Roman investigate further. They had realized that everything else Roman's employer had told him had been just as untrue. The employer had insisted Roman meet to explain why he wasn't going through with the hit, and Ravenna had anticipated something going wrong instantly. She hadn't yet taken out a mark on her own, but she'd helped with enough of Roman's assignments to know when a job felt wrong. She glanced to her left to see that a brown-coated woman had arrived and was speaking with Roman. The woman's face was calm, and neither she nor Roman moved much as they spoke. Roman was accustomed to avoiding attention, and the woman probably was as well. Ravenna looked away at the sound of a barking dog from her right, and she allowed herself to smile for a moment as she watched a small boy lead a large black lab while his parents followed. A gunshot echoed through the street. Ravenna whipped around to face the corner where she'd last seen Roman. Clutching his chest, he fell to the ground as the woman he'd been speaking with disappeared around the corner. Ravenna pulled her pistol from its holster as she hurtled toward her friend. She crouched beside him. The plasma bolt had hit him in the chest, over his heart, and he was struggling to breathe. Hold on, she told him quietly. She pushed herself to her feet and she ran at full speed after the brown-coated woman, holding her gun so tightly that its grip dug painfully into her palm. She stopped in her tracks as the wall of police sirens reached her ears. Her heart plummeted sickeningly. She realized how bad this would look. She was running from the scene with a gun. Sighing, she holstered her pistol and ran back to Roman's side. He was coughing blood onto the sidewalk. Ravenna crouched beside him. Roman, come on, I'm going to lift you and we're going to get out of here. He opened his eyes and frowned at her. Run. I'm not leaving. Get out of here, Ray. Go. A ragged cough shook his body, his mouth filled with blood. Ravenna clenched her fist until her nails bit painfully into her palms. Not this time. This one's not getting away with it. I swear, Roman. Eddie sighed. He took one last glance at his reflection, straightening his tie and running a hand through his dark hair in an unnecessary attempt to keep it in order. Taking a deep breath, he turned around to face the maitre d', who was watching him carefully. Eddie offered him a smile, which the other man did not return from where he stood behind a tall desk. 
Are you... are you sure she hasn't arrived yet? Asked Eddie. The man nodded slowly. He wore the restaurant's red vest over white shirt uniform and the name tag that identified him as Paul. The low murmur of discussion throughout the building would have been somewhat comforting on any other occasion, but not now. Eddie and Paul were alone in the room, the former pacing across the stone floor while the latter watched reprovingly. Sir, it might be best for you to sit down. With another sigh, Eddie mulled over what would happen. The worst she could do was stand him up, which a cynical voice at the back of his mind whispered that he should have anticipated. He knew she never stayed long in any relationship, but he reminded himself that they weren't technically in one. It seemed as though Desi was searching for something she could never find in the shallow men who frequented her social circles. In that way, she and Eddie were kindred spirits. He'd been searching for something he'd only been able to find in her. He'd been looking, as he now realized, for her all along. No, no, he said to Paul. She'll be here. He attempted to sound more confident than he felt, and hoped that the maitre d' bought his act. Paul said nothing. Eddie resumed his pacing, gazing out each window he passed and into the parking lot. He'd ask Desi to join him for lunch after she'd already spent much of the morning assisting him in sorting through paperwork and other equally tedious tasks at LDE. And he thought that perhaps he'd move too quickly. Aside from now and an hour or so when they'd traveled to LDE separately, they'd been near one another since she'd called him the previous night. Maybe it was too much of me for one day. The sound of wind rushing in the restaurant's front door arrested his attention, and a smile crept onto his lips. Desi had changed clothes since the office, traded jeans for a green dress that fell to her knees. She returned his smile as the door swung closed behind her. You made it. Of course. She said, crossing the room to stand by his side. He led her to Paul's desk and watched over her shoulder as she signed her name beside his in the guest book. Good. She isn't tired of me yet. Lila sat in silence, her knees drawn to her chest as she stared through a crack in the living room curtains into the morning sun. She longed to be outside. She wasn't sure whether she just needed air or that her current position, curtains drawn, doors locked, isolated, was a sign of things to come. After Derek's departure, she had briefly turned on the news to find a pair of reporters arguing about her guilt. The title bar at the bottom of the screen had read, Lawrence Murderer Named, and while one of the women had told the audience firmly that Lila was responsible, the other had apparently broken script to comment that no proof had yet been released and that all they had to go on was Eddie's word. As much as Lila would have liked to convince herself that she was innocent, her hope was draining by the hour. A feeling of empty despondency has settled, permanently it seemed, within her chest. Eddie believed she had committed the crime, and Derek had said a video had placed her at the scene. He had shut off the telesense the previous night to keep her from seeing the way the media portrayed her, but he could only protect her for so long, and he couldn't save her from herself. If her dreams were to be believed, she had pulled the trigger. She laid her head on her knees and stared at the portrait on the wall beside the bedroom door. Damien was several years younger in this image than the version of him her subconscious had shown her. He stood on the stone steps of a large house, Derek on his left and Desi on his right. Behind them stood a man and a woman who had to be their parents. The woman shared Desi's heart-shaped face and the man could have been Damien's double, apart from the marks of age he bore. His hair had started to gray at the edges and his smile made the lines in his cheeks more pronounced. This was the most recent image she'd seen of the sibling's parents. She didn't need Derek to tell her why. She felt it in her bones. She fought against the tears that wanted to break her. They wouldn't clear her conscience and they wouldn't put the family in front of her back together. There's nothing I can do to fix this. It's only a matter of time before Damien's fiance finds me or the police and when they do, Lila shuddered. What would they do to Derek now that he's protecting me? 
She heard the front door unlock and open, and she sat up straight, swinging her legs down to rest her feet on the floor and turning to face Derek with a brittle smile as he closed the door behind him. Hey, said Derek, his lips twitching in what Lila took as his attempt to smile back at her. Hey, her voice was soft, strained. She couldn't imagine he fell for her calm facade. Did you find out anything? Derek sighed. Lila averted her eyes to the floor between them. She couldn't bring herself to look at him any longer. Not now, after she'd spent so much time thinking about what she had put him through. What she would continue to put him through until she was discovered. Nothing we didn't know already. Eddie thinks he's doing the right thing by telling the media, and he's... spending time with my sister. He paused with a small frown, shook his head, and continued. He knows I've found you. He's promised me he won't tell the police, and I'm doing my best to trust him, but it isn't easy. I'm not sure I know how to trust anymore. He added, almost an aside. I don't blame him for what he did, Lila said quietly. I don't blame any of you for not trusting me. When he didn't reply, she forced herself to look up, and their eyes met. You don't have to protect me, you know. Listen, Derek, please. Lila slid off the sofa and onto her feet. I know what you've been through, what I've put you through. She swallowed and took a step in his direction. And you continue to help me, keeping me here, shielding me from all of it. But I can't keep putting you through this. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve you or your pity or your kindness. He closed his eyes. That's what Eddie said, but I don't believe- But I do! She moved toward him rapidly now, arriving at his side by the door in an instant. Please don't pretend you haven't thought about what I've done to you every minute since you found me. That's my problem to face. Derek shook his head. After we prove you're innocent, it will go away. It will all go away. Please don't do anything that either of us will regret. He reached out, laying a hand on each of her shoulders. I'm sorry, she breathed. I've caused you enough pain. She slipped out of his grasp and opened the doors, starting at a run down the hallway. Lila! Derek called out from behind her. Wait, don't go. We'll, we'll work this out. We'll- The elevator's doors closed just as he exited his apartment. As she descended, Lila heard him pounding on the doors that separated them. After a few moments, the pounding stopped. She leaned back against the cool, metallic wall and stared up at the ceiling as she moved farther and farther away from the one person she was sure she could trust. Derek had no idea how much time passed after the doors had closed and before he processed what was happening. Lila was leaving. She had accepted the blame and she was punishing herself. How far will she allow this to go? He wondered. If she goes outside, they'll surely... He ran for the other end of the hallway, flung himself around the corner, and threw open the door to the stairwell. As he raced against time and gravity to reach the ground floor before Lila, he realized what the look she had given him had really meant. She was going to turn herself in to the police, or at least allow herself to be apprehended. What changed her mind so quickly? She said she'd stay. We said we'd try to find a way out of this. Why do I care so much? The questions flooded his mind as his feet fell swiftly, carrying him down flight after flight of stairs toward the woman he knew could outrun him with a thought. If I were in her place, wouldn't I do the same thing? If she were in mine, she would try to stop me, wouldn't she? The Lila I know would. Is she still that person? He flew through the door at the bottom of the stairwell and out into the lobby. He didn't suspect that she would take the time or the caution to use the back exit at a time like this, and neither would he. 
Paying no mind to the numerous sets of eyes he felt watching him, he dashed through the lobby and out into the street beyond, searching for her, calling her name as though doing so would somehow bring her back. After minutes that felt more like hours, he understood that she was long gone. He had no idea why he cared what happened to her. She killed my brother. And yet, he didn't want her to be found guilty. He didn't want it to be true. Anyone but her. He leaned back against the hot metal wall of his apartment building, trying desperately to make sense of his emotions. Confusion. Why had she changed her mind so suddenly? Why now, after sitting alone until Derek had returned from LDE, had she decided to leave? There had been something in her eyes that had begged him not to argue with her decision, though he couldn't have found the words to do so regardless. But why was she acting so rashly? Hate. He didn't want to hate her when he'd spent so many years caring for her in a way that he'd never cared for anyone else, but he couldn't stop himself from feeling this way. He'd seen her holding the gun on the security video. The brother he'd known for his entire life, the only friend he'd had until the two had met Eddie, had been stolen from him. And the longer he went without knowing for sure whether Lila had killed him in cold blood, or whether she had been compelled to do it, the angrier he became. But there was something else there, something he had never fully understood or allowed to mature in the years he'd known her, but it was there all the same. He didn't know how long he'd been in denial, how long he'd been hiding this from himself, but the longer he spent in her company and in fear of losing her forever, the more difficult it became to pretend not to feel it. He closed his eyes. I can't love her. It's unacceptable.